ahead and have you be seated because I'm going to read a little longer scripture reading than I intended to, but please turn with me in uh, John's Gospel, and we'll, we'll turn to uh, chapter 18, and then we'll read the entirety of the chapter and part of the opening part of verse uh, chapter 19. John 18, hear God's word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. He said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered them, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was warming, uh, Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. 
I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him, bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus 
and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. And now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written.
hands of the reading of God's holy word. The crucifixion of Jesus, together with his resurrection, is the central event in all human history. On the cross, the Son of God, who had no sin, was made sin for us in order to die for our sin. You know, we'll spend, Lord willing, we'll spend our lives pondering his death and what it means for us and what a great gift it is for us and what it's accomplished for us. Hopefully we'll spend our lives to the end of our days growing in our appreciation for this sacrifice, deepening our understanding of it. His death, his atoning death, should be on our minds all the time, every day, not just at this time of year, but always. Knowing our sin, we should always have our Savior and his death for our sin before our eyes. Here in John 19, beginning in verse 17 to 22, we see that statement about Jesus' death. It really is a very simple statement, a very um, brief, matter-of-a-fact statement without very many details at all. The mockery of a trial has already taken place. Pilate has uh, given up finally on trying to release Jesus, and he handed him over to be crucified by the Roman soldiers. And as we read, uh, he carried his own cross. It was not an uncommon thing for the prisoner to be required to carry his own cross to the place of execution. The other Gospels give us uh, even more details about uh, this, these moments in Jesus' life. They tell us that Simon of Cyrene was pushed into service to carry that cross for Jesus, probably because he had become too weak uh, due to blood loss from the flogging that Pilate uh, had done to him, which was a brutal brutal thing. He probably was half dead after that. But in any case, when they finally reached the place known as Golgotha, the Romans did to him what they were ordered to do. But the simplicity of this statement is striking. John doesn't really embellish the details. He doesn't go into great detail about this horrible act, this horrible event. He just gives us a a single sentence. There they crucified him, he writes. And with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Of course, crucifixion was a horrible horrible thing. It was a horrible way to die. 
One writer described this method of execution as the worst form of a torturer's art. Atrocious physical sufferings, length of the torment, and the shame as well that was endured, and the effect on the crowd as they would gather to witness the long agony of the crucified person. Nothing could be more horrible than the sight of this living body breathing, seeing, hearing, still able to feel and yet reduced to the state of a corpse by forced immobility and absolute helplessness. We cannot even say that the crucified person writhed in agony because it was impossible for him to move. He was stripped of his clothing, unable to even brush away the flies that fell upon his wounded flesh, already lacerated by the scourging, also being exposed to insults and curses. The cross represented miserable humanity reduced to the last degree of impotence, suffering, and degradation. Now, John could have, uh, could have elaborated. He could have provided all the gory details about Jesus' suffering on the cross. He was there. He was an eyewitness. He saw it all. He didn't turn away from it. He saw all the horror of it. But he doesn't share all that. He simply states the fact that they crucified him. And the other Gospels basically do the same. They relate the basic facts, but little else. Why is that? Why would they not go into more detail? Tell us more. Give us a fuller picture of the crucifixion, of Jesus' sufferings. Wouldn't that be more effective? Wouldn't that move our hearts more as readers and hearers of these things? Well, the Holy Spirit, who inspired the gospel writers, apparently didn't want us to have all those details. Leon Morris writes about this. He writes about the obsession that many Christians have with visualizing uh, the cross, visualizing Christ's sufferings, his physical sufferings. Morris writes, popular piety both Protestant and Roman Catholic, often tend to make a great deal of the sufferings of Jesus. To reflect on what he has done and to dwell on the anguish that he endured. But none of the Gospels really do this. The evangelists record the fact and they let it go at that. The death of Jesus for men was their concern. They make no attempt to pull at the heartstrings of their readers. 
I think this is, a, this is important. We shouldn't um, try to portray Christ crucified in such a way that we're trying to pull on the heartstrings of our hearers or that we're trying to have our own heartstrings pulled. We should take what Scripture gives us and be content with that. Hear what God says and leave it at that. Nobody's saved by having an emotional uh, experience, an emotional response to the gospel. That's not what saves us. We're saved by believing the gospel, believing the truth of God's word. I like what Morris said there. The death of Jesus for men. That was the gospel writer's concern. Trying to visualize the, the terrible sufferings, the physical sufferings of Jesus through our imaginations or through pictures or uh, paintings or movies or drama or whatever, it really misses the whole point of the crucifixion. And this is the point, and this is the real power of that event. The point is not the physical pain that he endured and the emotions that we might get by seeing it. The point is who this person is and what he was doing for men. And John, again, gives us very little of the, the details here. And he does that for a reason. He wants us to focus our attention on who this crucified person was. And we see that in verses 19 to 22. He, he really does that. He focuses in on who Jesus was. He is the King of Kings. Pilate also wrote an inscription, we're told. He put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It says it was written in these three languages, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests, the Jewish leaders, said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate said, What I have written, I have written. This inscription uh, was a sign that displayed the name and crime of the condemned man. It was a normal uh, practice to put that kind of an inscription uh, above the crucified. It was a public notice, and so it was normal to have such a sign uh, when an executed criminal lay uh, or hung dying on a cross. And this sign said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Pilate was the one who had this written. Pilate had control over what the sign said. He chose those words. And he chose to have them written in the three common languages of the time so that everyone could read them 
And the Romans wanted that. They wanted everyone to read these signs. They wanted everybody to uh, be impacted by them because they served, of course, as a warning to would-be criminals. The sign communicated, this could be you. This is what could happen to you if you commit this man's crime. Pilate had two motives for writing this inscription. The first was uh, he was relating the accusation of the Jews, the charge that they brought against Jesus. He was making himself out to be a king. They tried to convince Pilate that for that reason, Jesus was a, a great big bad threat to the Roman authorities. Of course, he wasn't. As he said, his kingdom was not of this world. But that didn't matter to them. They were just trying to bring about his death, and their plan worked, and their charge stuck that they made against Jesus. Pilate also, though, with this inscription, was getting some revenge against the Jews. He was not happy with the way they had coerced him uh, they had co coerced him into condemning Jesus. He didn't want any part of it. He knew, too, that these Jews had no real allegiance to Caesar. And so it was a total sham when they said, we have no king but Caesar. They didn't respect or regard Caesar as their king. And yet they used that fake loyalty to Caesar to force Pilate into a corner so that he had to condemn Jesus. Basically trapped him. If he didn't execute Jesus, the Jews would tell Caesar that Pilate was disloyal and that he allowed uh, kings other than Caesar to go on living. So Pilate had to either give the Jews what they wanted, or he would be risking his own neck. And he resented this very much. And he seems to have gotten some revenge by writing this sign, this insulting sign to those Jewish leaders. It would have been a very uh, insulting, um, angering thing to them. He wrote it in such a way that Jesus was was portrayed as the real king of the Jews. Now, don't think for a minute that he actually believed that. This was nothing but a mockery of uh, the nation of Israel and those Jewish leaders. It, and it advertised the fact that the Jews were totally powerless. They were totally under the thumb of the mighty Romans. The Romans could do whatever they wanted with them. It said, in essence, look here. This is what we Romans have the power to do to you Jews and your king. You can see why the Jewish leaders were upset with this. They were appalled by it. They wanted Pilate to change the sign, but he refused because he was enjoying a little bit of revenge. There's a third 
motivation behind this sign, and that is the only one that really matters. And that motive was God's. God used all the lying accusations, all the vindictiveness of his enemies in order to accomplish his sovereign plan. God wanted the truth of his son to be proclaimed. And that's exactly what this sign did. This is the the beginning of the gospel being proclaimed, the true identity of Jesus Christ being proclaimed. Jesus is the true king of the Jews. And not only of the Jews, he is the true king of all people. Pilate didn't know what he was doing. He was doing something uh, with his own silly motives as a sinner, but he actually became an evangelist here by having this sign written. He's proclaiming the true identity of Jesus. And John puts a lot of emphasis on Jesus' identity and Jesus' kingship all through his gospel. He doesn't want us to miss this important truth of who Jesus is. This sign, three languages, trilingual, this sign was a proclamation of truth to the whole world who Jesus is. Jesus is king. These three languages, Aramaic was the language of uh, the country, and Latin was the official language of the Roman Empire. Greek was the commonly spoken language that almost everyone understood. And so this sign represents the worldwide universal kingship of Jesus Christ and the worldwide scope of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the king of all people everywhere. And no matter what the Jews said, the Jewish leaders, Pilate was not about to change that sign. He refused. No matter how they complained. And that was fitting because in a similar way, no one can ever change the fact portrayed in that sign. Jesus is the king of the Jews and of all people. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Nothing can ever change that. That is the final word, the truth about him. God proclaimed this truth that cannot be altered, cannot be escaped from, no matter how much God's enemies then or now hate it. Pilate designed this sign, Pilate did, um, because he wanted to irritate his enemies. But God 
designed it to reveal his son for who he really is. And we all need to know him for who he really is. You need to know him this way. You need to know him and submit to him as your king. You need to believe on him and trust in him as your crucified king, crucified for your sins, to set you free from them, from your guilt, and ultimately from the very presence of sin. He was not crushed by the power of Rome. He was crushed by his father's will in order to pay the price for your sins, all your sins. The king was condemned for us, for all his people. What an amazing truth that is. But you need to believe it for yourself. Every one of you, believe in Jesus Christ your crucified king, trust in him, in other words, as your savior. And when you do, God will make you royalty as well. He will set up his kingdom in your heart. And very soon, Lord willing, it will be very soon, the kingdoms of this world will be swept aside and they will become the kingdom of God and of his Christ. And every knee will bow to him. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what a good king he is to us. Our king who loved us so much that he died that horrible death of the cross for us. Not only those physical sufferings, the sufferings of alienation from his father, the sufferings of God's wrath upon all our sin. Let's love him and serve him all our days. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we thank you and praise you for bringing your kingdom into this world through Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection. And we humbly thank you, Lord, for, for giving us a place in your glorious kingdom. Through faith in him, uh, we couldn't even claim that faith um, as our accomplishment that too is even a gift of your grace. Lord, cause your kingdom to be established and flourish all throughout the world and in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you'd grant us grace to live for you and for your glory always through him. And it's in his name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.